Scripture comes from Exodus, the 15th chapter. What has happened is the people have been freed from the Egyptians, miraculously delivered through the Red Sea. And this is what we find out. And Moses led Israel from the Red Sea to the desert of Shur. They traveled three days without finding any water. Then they came to Merah, but they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That's why it is called Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed Moses a piece of wood. And he took it and threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for the people. And put them to the test, saying, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commandments and keep his decrees, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees. Where, and they camped there by the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Have you ever been to Israel? Would you like to go? Let me uh, save you some money and time. This is what it looks like. 70% of Israel is desert. 70% is desert. And let me tell you about the desert. The Bible primarily takes place in four deserts. Uh, Mount uh, Sinai Desert, uh, the Desert of Sin, uh, the Desert Negev Desert, and then the Judah Wilderness or the Judah Desert. And there are two things you need to know about deserts. The first is this. They are hot. I was there in the fall in October of 2007, and it was 120 degrees. And we were lucky. The group that was there in August ran into 128 degrees. And the terrain is at best hostile. Uh, Rocks like this, every place you set your foot, you are tripping over a rock, bumping into a rock, stepping on a rock. Israel is hot. The terrain is difficult. When uh, Last time I was in uh, the desert in 2007, on the third day in the desert, my hiking boot just blew out. Just lost the bottom of it. So fortunately, someone in the group came and rescued me and brought me uh, walking shoes, very nice walking shoes, Keens. Um, and I had to use them for the next several days in the desert. Now, I can't get my physician to confirm this, but I don't think that, I think there's a correlation between the fact that I had to go without hiking boots and that I had to have surgery on that ankle about three months later. It is difficult and hostile terrain. Fred, uh, you see another picture Uh, Just kind of going further back. And you don't see a lot of vegetation. And you don't see any water. This is the desert. This is 70% of the promised land. And what you need to know is that when the people escaped through the Red Sea, there was a shortcut they could have taken to go to uh, the promised land. And it was a shortcut that ran along the Mediterranean. It would have been comfortable in comparison. It would have been much cooler But instead, the scripture tells us God led them in a roundabout way through the desert. Another thing you need to know is the great people of the faith, the patriarchs, we call them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 
lived most all of their lives with God in the desert. And finally, in the fullness of time, when Jesus came, God sent Jesus by the Holy Spirit into the desert for 40 days, replicating Israel's 40-year experience one day for each year that Israel was there. Well, the thing that Hebrews understand that are a little hard for Westerners to see is that God often talks in pictures. And so the rabbis and scholars get together, and when they look at the Holy Land and see 70% of it is desert, they know that God is sending them a message that much of their life will be spent, metaphorically at least, in the desert. When you look at the fact that Moses had to go there and Jesus had to go there, it is hard for us as Christians to defend the fact that we think our lives should be lived out in Hawaii. It's not the way that God has life work. In fact, in fact, I would say that every person in the sanctuary fits into one of three categories. Either, first of all, you have been in the desert. You, you, you've already been there. A desert, metaphorically, is a place of intense struggle and intense difficulty in your life. Uh, I walked into the desert, well, actually just kind of woke up and found myself in the desert, November 1st, 2004. I walked up, woke up one morning, and I just didn't feel like getting out of bed. And, and maybe you've had that feeling. But then I began to think, you know, it'd be real nice to be sick today. And I want to be sick enough to be put in the hospital, but not, no, not so sick that I would die. And somebody could come see me for a change. Well, I knew that probably wasn't really straight thinking and I knew I had entered into a desert which would last about four months of my life and I looked at all sorts of things including trying to find if there was another job that I was capable of doing maybe you've been in the desert or maybe you are there right now second category of people are there right now loss of relationship or job or health Any number of things can send us spiraling into the desert. And if you've been fortunate enough to not have been in the desert in your life to this point, and you're not there now, rest well assured you're heading there. Because that's our experience of life. And God knew it, and God gave them a picture to prepare people for this reality. At this time, I'd like to invite Lynn Merritt uh, forward. Lynn is the leader of our Stephen ministry. He, and the Stephen ministry deals really with the desert experiences uh, that people find themselves in in life. And Lynn, I'm representing the Stephen ministers this morning. I want to ask you, what are some of the desert experiences that you've seen where Stephen ministry can be particularly helpful? Well, that's a good question. That's uh, almost anything that you find in your life that is sort of more than you can carry at any given time. Uh, somebody called Stephen Ministers the after people. They were there after the boss called you in and told you you were losing your job. Or after the last casserole dish was cleaned and everybody else went home and you were home by yourself. Or after the last child left home and went off to college and you realized how lonely and quiet your house was. Or perhaps after the divorce papers were final. When you find yourselves in those situations, uh, we're there to help help you walk through it. And you're there in one-on-one confidential relationship. Right. But I'm wondering, Lynn, the, the ministers who minister um, as Steve ministers one-on-one with people, 
do they have to walk through the deserts alone? Is, yeah. is there any help for them? That's a good question. You can imagine a Stephen minister trying to help someone through that kind of problem in their life. It might be difficult for us at times, too. So uh, what, we, what we have in our Stephen ministry, we have small groups. Stephen ministers of maybe five or six uh, meet regularly, and we talk about problems that we're having. We do not violate the rule of confidentiality. Nobody knows who our care receivers are, uh, but we share with them, uh, with, our, with our colleagues, problems that we faced, and if we run into a problem we just simply don't know how to deal with, how to deal with we can ask, what, give me some advice. How do I do this? How do I help this person through this, uh, uh, through this crisis? And so we find that we not only have uh, that, but we can pray for each other. And uh, we always try to tell ourselves when, we, when we're seeing a care receiver that remember that uh, God is the, is the caregiver. We're just the, we're just the shepherd going through. So, Thank you, Lynn. Thank that, you. That's a great reminder. All of us are going to spend some time in the desert. And it's important to know that when you spend time in the desert, geographically at least, you realize that you can't do this alone. I really toyed with the fact of asking our facilities director to turn off the air conditioner this morning just to give you a taste. But I didn't because I was still hoping there'd be some people around to hear the message. But you do not go in the desert alone. You need someone who knows the desert who knows where the shade is, though there's not much of it, who knows where the water can be found, who knows where the dangers are that are around every corner and canyon that you cannot see when you are walking in the valley. You cannot go, you dare not go to the desert alone. And God knew this, and God had planned to use other people to help those who were in the desert. This is what he says in Isaiah 32. He talks about, he's going to set up his people, and he said, each one of you will be a shelter from the storm, because storms can come up elsewhere, and then floodwaters can come uh, flying through the desert in ways uh, uh, that are life-threatening, and you can't hardly imagine how quickly it can happen. He said, you will be a shelter in the storm. You will be shade from the sun and streams in the desert. God said, part of my plan to care for you is through other people. And I'm very fortunate that when I woke up that morning and I knew something wasn't right, the first thing I did is called a good friend of mine uh, who uh, works here at the church, um, uh, until recently just retired, and uh, he was a Stephen minister also, and I, I shared with him this and I knew it wasn't right and he knew it wasn't right and he started walking with me first he asked me to, to do some very basic steps so check for depression and think about diet and exercise there were some very basic counsel he gave me which I should know but in in the desert I just couldn't think of that stuff you you don't think clearly in the desert and he helped me and then he checked with me week after week how are you doing and it was about four months I started to come out of it and then God even used somebody in England a woman I know in England is ironing her clothes one day, and God gives her a message and says, call David or email him in Texas and tell him he is about to come out of the wilderness in the next few weeks. Sure enough, that came the end of January, and in February, I could see light again. The community was so important. You need to know no one in Israel anyway, no one in their right thinking goes to the desert alone. Second thing you need to know is in the desert, God was quite clear that you would meet God. It's very interesting when you read Deuteronomy, says Ray Vanderland, that 
uh, you, you see some different things, uh, uh, terms God uses. When God talks about Egypt, God says, well, that's Pharaoh's land. And we could all make the point, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's land. But when God talks about Egypt, God says, that's Pharaoh's. When God talked about the parts of the promised land where they could uh, have a garden and they could uh, uh, keep animals and uh, they could establish uh, and have secure living, God said, that's the land I'm giving you. But when God talked about the desert in Deuteronomy, God said, that's my land. That's my land because there you're going to need me. The rabbis called the desert God's womb. There's things that just happen in your life that can happen nowhere else except in the desert. I wanted to share with you as we close uh, this morning a few things that I think you can expect if you will keep walking faithfully through the desert. Number one, you can expect to hear God's voice. This is fascinating. If you do the research, God speaks a hundred times more often to people in the Bible when they're in the desert than God does when they're not in the desert. A hundred times. Whether whether it be Jesus in the Judah wilderness, Paul on a, a deserted road, or Moses and his people. A hundred times more often in the desert God speaks. You can expect to hear God's voice. You might say, well, I've never really heard God. Well, when you go to the desert, you hear God if, if, you, if you're open to hearing. Second thing is you can expect God to move in miraculous ways. The interesting thing, if you look at the, um, uh, the first five books of the Bible... The deeper God's people got into the desert, the more common and greater the miracles became. And so there was water, a stick that made the water sweet. And then there was manna from heaven. And then there was water from a rock. And then there was water from a rock, uh, another rock. Their, uh, their shoes, which are just like a piece of leather, maybe two pieces tied together, never wear out in 40 years. Snake, poisonous snake bites are healed. Miracle after miracle, the deeper they got, the more out of their comfort zone they moved, the more God moved in their life. The third thing I'd want you to know is this, is that when you spend time in the desert and you walk faithfully through it, you will find what every other person has found who's walked through the desert, and that is that God will provide. Many things are taken away in the desert, but God gives us what we need. Interesting, I had not thought about it. A friend of mine brought it up, uh, Scott Hare. He said, uh, we were talking about this passage about the bitter water and the piece of wood. He said, you know Moses still had the staff with him. Part of the Red Sea turned into a snake, turned uh, water into blood. Moses still had that staff. Why didn't God say, well, just take that staff and touch the bitter water and that'll take care of it. But God didn't do that. God said, here's a piece of wood. Throw that in. Because God didn't want them depending on a magic stick. God didn't want them to say, well, whatever God has done in the past, that's just pretty much what will happen. God wanted them to know that God was alive and present with them in the desert and moving in ways they had not seen before. That God would continue to be with them in new and fresh ways. So God said, well, pick this piece of wood up and use it. Most importantly for me and lastly... I believe if you enter the desert and walk through it faithfully with God and with other people, that you will be changed. You will be different. You will be better. No one asked to go to the desert. 
No one wants to enroll in that school. But everyone who goes through the desert all says the same thing. They are a different and a better person. Gerald Sitzer, in a wonderful book on suffering called A Grace Disguise, says that the soul is often enlarged through suffering. And that, and that um, increase doesn't come by our desire. We're, we're dragged or pushed or some, sometimes we slip. There are different ways we get into the desert. But once we're there, if we're faithful, we will find that we will be changed. We will be different. Our soul will be larger. This past uh, January, most unwillingly, I went back into the desert and am still there. A number of transitions in our family, including my uh, older brother's death. And I was talking with um, a colleague the other day, and I said, this has been so frustrating to have spent five years in this situation in the last five months, it seems. And I just can't seem to focus and get done everything I want to get done. And her observation to me was this. She said, well, David, the few things that you have done, you have done them so much better and richer and deeper. Maybe so. And why not? I've been in the school of the desert. I didn't sign up, but I'm hoping and planning to graduate. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who repent of their sin and live in peace and forgiveness with others. Would you join me as together we pray the prayer, pray the prayer of confession printed in the bulletin. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. 